Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science across the globe. My name is Joe Schunkweiler. I'm a physician and former health tech executive. And my name is Alex Merwin. I'm an operations executive who's worked at two startups that exited as unicorns. And now Joe and I work with healthcare and life science startups and investors at AWS. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Mary Rosenman, the Chief Financial Officer and Chief Business Officer at Incitro, and Dr. Chris Probert, a senior machine learning scientist at Incitro. Incitro is a company reimagining the drug discovery and development process by integrating machine learning and biology at scale. Dr. Rosenman, Dr. Probert, and I discuss how Incitro's discovery process can start on either the clinical or cellular side, why scale is so important in every aspect of Incitro's model, and why diversity of experience and background can be a powerful tool in solving hard problems. Enjoy. Dr. Mary Rosenman, Chief Financial Officer and Chief Business Officer at Incitro, and Dr. Chris Probert, Senior Machine Learning Scientist at Incitro. Thanks for joining me today. To start things off, Mary, can you tell us a bit about Incitro and what you all do? Happy to. So Incitro comes from the combination of two words, in silico and in vitro. In silico speaks to our commitment to the application of leading edge computational methods and machine learning. And in vitro speaks to our commitment to the generation of high quality data at scale and fit for purpose model systems in which we believe we can model disease. In our case, those are iPSC-derived cellular models with the potential for significant genetic engineering and multimodal phenotyping through multiple imaging modalities, transcriptomics, as well as other phenotyping. What's really, I think, unique about Incitro is our belief that we are finally at a moment in time where computational tools that have been transforming every aspect of our lives can finally be brought to bear on the most critical problems in pharmaceutical drug discovery and development. And Citro relies on the combination of data generation at scale, as well as data integration at scale. And when we say data integration at scale, we mean access to very high quality human cohort data at scale. And the buildup of machine learning models that actually rely on both those human cohort data sets, as well as in vitro, data that we generate in-house, and the ability to arrive at phenotypic insights through the deployment of machine learning tools on both of those data sets with the goal of uncovering the different underlying definition of disease, basically harnessing the deep phenotypic data linked to genetics, both in vivo and in vitro, and learning on those data to redefine disease finally using all of the data and finally using all of these tools in a way that helps you identify novel biologic drivers of disease, potentially novel targets, novel patient biomarkers, as well as to test in our intervenable model system in the lab what a molecule might do in a given patient population. We were founded by Daphne Kohler, who is a true machine learning pioneer and the first machine learning professor at Stanford, founder and CEO of Coursera, chief compute officer at Calico, just this incredible machine learning luminary who had this vision and in 2018 built this company and from day one started to put the right people together to actually tackle this ambitious goal. Fantastic. There are certain things that we talk about that are these huge bets in the space that I've had the pleasure of having folks on 
this show and this definitely qualifies. I'd love to also hear both of your journeys and how you ended up doing this, taking on this audacious challenge. Chris, I'd love to, to start with you. I'd love to learn how you ended up where you are today. I think in some ways, my journey has mirrored some of the themes present at Incitro. I've actually always struggled to choose between the worlds of biology and computer science. I found myself drawn to programming computers, but I've always thought that biology has interesting questions. I actually tried to double major in both, ended up finding too much memorization in biology, <laughs> stuck mostly with computer science, did a PhD focused on applying machine learning to genomic data sets and oncology, and have basically been at Incitro for the past, almost the full life of the company, growing, helping to grow the team from, I think, six people on day one to 200-ish that we are today. Wow. Uh, Mary, how about you? It's rare that I get the opportunity to speak to somebody with such a deep scientific background on the business and strategy side. I'd love to hear about your own journey. From a very early age, I wanted to help sick people be healthy. I grew up with a family member who struggled with an illness for which there were not good treatments available. And as a little kid, I didn't really know anything about therapeutics or chemistry or any of those things. And so what I thought was that I wanted to be a doctor and because doctors actually help sick people be better. And as I went through my schooling, I was born in Russia and then was a refugee in the United States in the late 1980s. And so as I went through schooling initially in, in, in Moscow and then subsequently in the U.S., I developed a tremendous passion for science and always with this sort of guiding light of, of wanting to become a clinician and help sick people be better. When I got to college at Columbia, my very first year, I volunteered in a hospital at St. Luke's Hospital on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, which was not a hospital with great resources, but perhaps even if it had been, it would have been made very, very clear to me that I was just not cut out to be a clinician. I am a total hypochondriac. I can't stand the sight of blood. I've been in a hospital twice when I had my two children and thankfully haven't had to be there since. So it was really a dream cut very short early on in my first year of college. And so I re sort of calibrated myself on the sciences and worked across different areas of science, biology, chemistry, physics, et cetera, and ultimately really found that organic chemistry and specifically the ability to reason about molecules on a structural level, and then also think about the way that they could perturb or influence biologic systems was, was the thing that was most exciting to me. Did undergraduate work in chemistry, ended up doing my PhD in chemistry at Harvard with David Liu, who has since been one of the pioneers of, of, of CRISPR and, and, and built a number of incredible companies himself. And I absolutely loved science, but ultimately didn't want to be the person in the lab making the discoveries. So it became all about how do I participate further downstream in the funnel? Spent about five years at McKinsey and Company learning the business world, where my partner platforms really focused on the intersection of pharma and corporate finance. Was a venture investor for a while. And upon moving to Silicon Valley back in the beginning of 2013, really started to appreciate that, that the really exciting piece was actually building the companies, not advising companies, not investing in companies, but actually rolling up your sleeves and building the companies. I built my first company starting in around 2015 when I transitioned off the board. We'd been investors at my fund and became a member of the executive team. And so that was a fantastic journey where we were able to actually grow the company, professionalize it, take it public and so forth, but more importantly, advance the therapeutic from phase two, ultimately to having a drug that was approved by the FDA made available to patients. And I love that um, and was remained so, so proud of everything we did there. 
But I couldn't help but see that there was this revolution with computational approaches starting to transform every aspect of life. But somehow it seemed to me not really making an impact on this industry that I had been building my career in, focused on drug discovery and development. And I started to read books and read papers and really just became obsessed with the potential for computational approaches to fundamentally transform how we discover and develop medicines and develop tremendous conviction that the next company I was going to build had to have machine learning and computation at the core. And it was really just about finding the right context and the right people. And I was fortunate enough to find Daphne Kohler and Chris and the handful of people who, who were getting in Citro going in those early days and, and joined the company in the middle of 2019, just about three and a half years ago. The two guests on this call are such a great example of this. And I know that Incitro is a champion of bringing together those diverse disciplines for this really audacious goal that you have. How does that diversity at, within the company impact how it operates, the strategy, the vision? How does that all that come together? It's something that sounds really amazing, but what, is it, what does it look like when the rubber hits the road for that? Daphne Kohler, our founder and CEO, talks about the importance of people being bilingual. And when she talks about that, you know, what she's really referring to is biologists really learning the language of computer science or even machine learning and, and vice versa. Ultimately, it's not just about people learning to speak each other's languages, although it is incredibly important. It's about creating opportunities for people to truly come together to tackle things in a fundamentally different way, to create these program teams and project teams and bring people together and create opportunities for people to ask fundamentally different questions, not just try to answer them in different ways. And I think the greatest examples of not just in Citro successes, but the true step functions in our science and in our progress as a company have come from those unexpected insights that came when two people or five people with vastly different backgrounds were looking at the same problem from just completely different vantage points. And so I think we see our responsibility at Incitro as, as sort of creating an open, transparent culture where people engage openly, constructively, and with respect and work together in a truly collaborative way to help tackle things differently and better. I've seen the the insider outsider dynamic within healthcare and life science be a really powerful driver of innovation for exactly all the reasons that you laid out. So it seems like you've really tapped into that enough knowledge to ask the questions, but not such a deep expertise in in that particular area that you are bound by whatever the historical precedent is that may have worked in the past, but doesn't open you up to what could be in the future. It's really a compelling vision, Chris. I'd love to to hear a bit more about how the tech supports this vision. What are the advances in technology that have made what Mary laid out and what Daphne has talked about possible for Incitro? Yeah, so I think there are a number of themes that we've brought in from the outside world and that we've continued to extend and innovate ourselves over the past four years in Incitro. If I had to pick four big buckets of innovation that I think are key enabling technologies, I'd say the first is quite simply machine learning. I think the, the, the ability to, and particularly deep learning, the ability to draw insights from data 
to learn discriminative features, learn to make valuable predictions from data. I think that's the single biggest technology enabler that that our science is really anchored on, that everything we do is driving towards making better predictions to, frankly, achieve better health outcomes for patients. I think other enabling technologies, so one big bucket is biology tools and bioengineering, things like CRISPRs, CRISPR genome editing and iPSCs, which allow us to study biology at higher resolution during particular edits into particular patient cell lines that let us dissect genetic variability at a really fine-grained resolution and ask really targeted questions. Another is the suite of automation and imaging technologies. So these are things that we take advantage of in our high-throughput biology lab that we call our data factory. They allow us to operate the lab 24-7, produce data at huge scale, and benefit from the kind of reliability and reproducibility that, that you get when you're able to industrialize and automate data production rather than have humans do it. Right. Final bucket of external innovations or, say, key enablers for our science, I think, is human cohorts. The birth of early examples are things like Thousand Genomes Project since then, UK Biobank and the work that Genomics England or FinGen or, you know, Our Future Health or, or all of us, any of these examples of, you know, thousand to million scale data sets that have health outcomes and genetics and other high content data, I think have really enabled us to take the chain of translatability all the way from our cellular model system into interventions that actually make differences in patients. And when you talk about scale here, is that the scale element, the ability to scale those processes, scale what you're seeing, scale the impact? How does scale seems really central to that discussion? A lot of what we're doing, we're thinking about scale. We want to be able to study as many genetic perturbations as possible, as many environmental conditions, as many patients and genetic diversity as much as we can. An obvious answer is that the ability to detect a genetic signal is very largely based on cohort size. So in terms of the last bucket of innovation I talked about, the human cohorts that allow us to make genetic discoveries, we're only able to detect some of the signals that we find in the cohorts that are available today. This science simply wouldn't have been possible five to 10 years ago because the, the cohorts just weren't there, that you're only able to identify low-hanging fruit, not the more subtle disease modulators that are the, the alleles that we're able to pick up on in human cohorts today. I think more generally, it really lets us look across the spectrum of conditions, um, across the spectrum of human genetics to draw insights that are ones we can only make when we've got access to such large human cohorts. Yeah, maybe I would just add that, as I said at the outset, Incitro really relies on data generation and data integration at scale. And Chris spoke to the incredible developments that have occurred over the past several years in terms of the quality, the, the depth, and the multimodality of the human cohort data sets that are available out there in the ecosystem. At the same time, we've always had a fundamental underlying belief at Incitro 
that we will be limited as a company in terms of what we are able to not just discover, but ultimately build increasing conviction in through the deployment of our machine learning tools if we rely only on pre-existing cohorts. Right. And so from day one, there was a commitment at Incitro, and Incitro is called Incitro because it's a combination of in silico and in vitro. In vitro, speaking to our commitment to printing our own data in the lab and fit-for-purpose model systems, the scale of that is what's really incredible. And Chris spoke to that earlier on the podcast as well, the investment that we've made in automation infrastructure and robotics and in the ability to continuously generate data from the appropriate model systems, that scale is critical because that scale is what ultimately powers our discovery as well. And our discovery processes can start on the clinical side or they can start on the cellular side. But ultimately, as Chris already said, they do need to come together. And the coming together of those two components is, is what we think is truly differentiating in the way it helps us build conviction in what we discover and or predict with our systems. As you differentiate in the space that you're in now, but pulling on technology that exists in other industries, how did you borrow from the insights in those other spaces? So I'm curious whether you felt like you were going zero to one completely, or were you able to look and say, this is how they did that there. We can pull some of those elements over. Yep. I think it's a great question. Short answer, we absolutely look to borrow as much innovation as we can and to take advantage of the latest developments, whether it's in biology or automation or machine learning. If I had to pick three themes of components of our machine learning platform that are things we've had to innovate on or to what extent we've been able to leverage outside perspectives. So one is data science tooling. Obviously there's a huge growth in like the choice of data science tools that are out there in part thanks to AWS. And many of those are things that we've been able to, to take advantage of. One place where we did end up building something ourselves is in our computational workflow platform, which is something we call Redone and have released on, on GitHub and have also described in a, in a series of blog posts with the AWS Batch team. And so this is a framework that lets us orchestrate workflows at really large scale and reproducibly and with data tracking. And we've put it out into the world to, to sort of provide the same tailwinds for, for other organizations to take advantage of. Perhaps second, more of a concept than a specific technology is the idea that in order to optimize something, you need to measure it. And so this is really central to a lot of the science done in our lab. I think we can't hope to improve our processes or improve our scientific rigor if we're not tracking the variables that are influencing an experiment. This is very similar to a lot of the challenges faced in online advertising, for example, where I think a lot of the optimizations and personalization that are out there rely on capturing variables of particular users, particular impressions. And so we think about many of the same problems in terms of optimizing the experiments in our lab. Final bucket I'll say is public cloud. We derive enormous efficiency gains from not having to maintain our own compute infrastructure. And from day one, we've been running the vast majority of our compute workloads on AWS. I think it behooves us to call out the, the benefits and frankly, the freedom to focus on our science that we've derived from being able to operate on top of a, a very st stable compute platform and not having to worry about running our own servers. 
what I love about your story and how you're building the company is it's not just about doing really fantastic things with data science or machine learning or biology, but it's about what do you get for that? What have been some of the early successes that you've had at Incitro with your model? We've had a number of successes. I mean, I think if I start from the very, very early days of the company, I think the first success was being able to recruit some absolutely incredible people, Chris very much included in that august group, to really start to put the foundational infrastructure in place to start to build the company that would ultimately help capture Daphne's bold and audacious vision for the future of drug discovery and development and potentially in some ways for the future of medicine. So I think that was an early success is getting the right folks around the table and maintaining from the very beginning the sense of balance between computational colleagues on the one hand, automation engineers, as well as more experienced stem cell biologists and drug discovery scientists. The balance, we have these slides, I think, going back to the very early days of the company where Daphne really wanted to start from day one and have this stacked growing graph where different colors show different functions. And she's always taken so much pride in the fact that, oh, you see these, the blue colors over here, which are the compute colleagues and the gray colors that are over here, which are the biology and drug discovery colleagues, you see how they're really balanced. Like I think that balance was a huge success for us in the early days of Incitro and allowed us to build the right infrastructure, tackle the right problems, um, and then has continued, I think, to be a really tremendous success because we've stayed very committed to that. We have been very happy to see core aspects of the platform really lock down and start to um, achieve the state of being productionized or operating at scale. We are not just building sort of one cell model at a time, but that we're actually pushing into numbers of cell lines, number of engineered lines, number of patient lines, number of edits, number of phenotyping modalities, all of these things, greatly multiplying at scale in our own lab and leveraging the fantastic software engineering and machine learning tools that our colleagues have used, not just generate that data, but also integrate that data in the right way and make predictions on the basis of that data. So there's been a lot of progress that's been made in, in terms of the platform itself. But building the platform is only so good. You actually have to make sure that the platform is being productive. And so one of the things that we're very happy to see is that we're starting to see really exciting targets, high conviction targets emerge from the predictive platform. And as I mentioned before, we're working in the areas of neuroscience. We have a collaboration with Bristol-Myers Squibb in ALS known as Lou Gehrig's disease to some people. It's an absolutely devastating um, condition that rapidly claims the lives of, of people. And so BMS has been a tremendous pharmaceutical partner for us. So one of the things that we're really proud of is just how well that collaboration has gone. Obviously, there are significant economics associated with the collaboration, but much more than the economic piece, it's really that BMS has been a fantastic thought partner to Incitro as we have tried to access this sort of magic at the intersection of a truly innovative, computationally and genetically driven approach from the Incitro side with deep grounding in medicine and drug discovery and development on the BMS side. And I think bringing those two cultures together between BMS and Incitro has been equally important to bringing the compute and biology cultures together within Incitro itself. 
Because ultimately what we're trying to do is not just do really cool bleeding edge science, but we're actually trying to do it in the service of patients and in the service of advancing molecules. We've also launched some very important um, data collaborations. Um, our collaboration with Genomics England is a first exemplar where Citro is actually bringing a computational capability to the Genomics England research environment for use by, by their other partners. And that's been a wonderful relationship where Chris is also very closely involved that we, that we hope to build on as we establish more data, data access collaborations. Um, I think beyond the, the platform buildup, the early output of targets and buildup of our pipeline, the pharmaceutical collaborations, the data collaborations, I think we're also fortunate to be in a fantastic space that can continue to support our growth. We have, we have about 84,000 um, square feet of space here in South San Francisco, where we're able to continue to attract really incredible talent on the both, both the tech and the biotech side. We continue to build an amazing team and are very fortunate to have raised capital from high quality investors and have you know, not just an amazing team, but an amazing board and set of company backers who, who really are the wind at our back as, as we try to do all of these ambitious, um, occasionally crazy, but critically important things. I always like to close this podcast with a piece of advice for the entrepreneurs or budding entrepreneurs that are listening. And I'd love to hear from both you, Mary, and Chris on this. Mary, starting with you, what advice would you have for new entrants into the drug discovery space generally? And specifically, given your experience across in Citro, but also other organizations, is there something that you frequently see companies miss that you would like to call out as a common misconception or a common misstep? Yeah, I guess I would say, I don't know if it's a common misconception or misstep, but I think it's important for people to understand that this is all really hard. There is no easy button. There's no way to tunnel through the blood, sweat, and tears that have to go into all of this. And all of it is really hard. The machine learning is hard. The data infrastructure and the software engineering is hard. Data provenance is hard. Uh, cell biology is hard, drug discovery and development and everything that you have to do from a novel target to actually getting a drug into patients, let alone having that drug go through successful clinical trials and getting approved by the FDA. All of those things are really, really hard. So if you don't have passion for this space um, and you aren't going to just you know give a thousand percent, especially as an entrepreneur who's eager to build a company, uh, it may not be the area for you because it really is just incredibly, incredibly hard. I would say personally, there's nothing more rewarding in life than actually investing your time and your energy into making medicines for the people who need them. But it is very hard. I think to answer your question about what people sometimes miss, I think there are biotech companies out there that miss that these tech pieces that they need are not just out of the box. And the biotech companies would say, look, I want to do compute and like I'll set up an AWS account and I'll use some models that that I found online, some random forest thing that I can just download or whatever. Like that's it's going to be a bad road. Machine learning is incredibly good at picking up on signal. It's also incredibly good at picking up on artifact. You can do ML and make predictions, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be right. good. It certainly doesn't mean that it's going to improve uh, what you're trying to do. So I think on the biotech side, like understanding that the tech components are incredibly challenging and you need the right people around the table. 
On the flip side, I think there are tech companies out there who miss how hard the biology is, who miss who, how complex it is. And, and that's, again, before you even get to the drug discovery piece, right. who, who don't appreciate how hard the biology itself is and what it ultimately takes to advance medicines um, to the patients who need them. So I think they're like, if you're starting very squarely in one world and looking to sprinkle on a little bit of the other world, it's going to be a challenge. You really do need people around the table in the early build who deeply understand the individual pieces here because bringing these two worlds together, yeah, it's not for the faint of heart and it requires deep respect for both of them. Maybe one way I would frame it is just to say that I think something that's really required of people entering the space is a great degree of humility and respect for both sides. And, you know, I think the, the great companies that we're going to see emerge and, and are seeing emerging in the space of particularly of machine learning for drug discovery uh, are ones that nail that sort of shared culture of biology and computation. One of our tenants that I think Daphne said to me, the first time I interacted with her and, and something she has repeated and really built into the culture of in situ is the idea that there are no dumb questions and that colleagues on the computation side should be, should be empowered and feel encouraged to, to ask, you know, even really basic questions about biology and likewise in the other direction. And I think that really that shared humility and this feeling that we're, we're all in the same boat steering towards the same purpose. I think that's the number one tenet I would want to see emerge in a new company in the space. Dr. Mary Rosamond and Dr. Chris Probert, thanks for joining me today. Pleasure. Thanks, thanks for you. having us. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review and rating. It helps others find us. To learn more about how AWS supports startups, please go to aws.amazon.com startups. 